Welcome to Life Church. I am so glad that you've joined me today in this brand new series that we are kicking off this weekend called Anxious for Nothing. And the world that we live in, there is a lot it feels like to be anxious about, to have anxiety over, to worry over, to fret over. But the truth of the, of the matter is, is that God's word tells us as followers of Jesus Christ that we don't have to be anxious for anything. Matter of fact, we can have peace in the middle of a storm. It doesn't mean that we won't have storms. It doesn't mean that there won't be trials or tribulations. That happens to all of us. But in the middle of all of those turbulent times, in the middle of, of storms, in the middle of complexities, in the middle of, of, of just things going maybe even crazy or chaotic around us, we can have peace in the middle of that. So how do you do that? That's the question. How do I have peace in the middle of a storm? I know that storms happen in life, but how do I have that? I'm so glad you asked that question. We're going to begin to unpack that today and the next several weeks in this series, Anxious for Nothing. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in this passage this week and the following weeks in this series. That's really what we're going to be exploring and unpacking is this letter to the church in Philippi as, as Paul is writing here and expressing the key of how to have peace in the middle of the storm. In this message today, we're going to talk about the prescription for peace, the prescription for peace. In my opinion, for me, as a follower of Jesus Christ, there's many ways that God leads, but the Bible says that he leads us in peace. That's one of the ways in which he leads. And for me, when I'm making decisions in life, when I don't know what to do, when there's doubt, when there's confusion, when there's a lack of clarity, when anxiety or worry tries to come in, I go back to where do I have peace? I'm looking for peace because I know that I cannot control everything around me, but I can control me. Sometimes controlling me is difficult. I don't know if you have a problem with that. But if I can have peace, even when everything else is going crazy around me, I'm okay. How do you do that? Paul writes this out. He gives us this prescription for this. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 and verse 5. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Verse 5. Let your gentleness be known to all men that the Lord is at hand. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The bottom line, the simple answer, but I'm going to unpack how this works, is the key to having peace is found in the decision to rejoice. Let me say that again. The key to having peace in your life and not to be overwhelmed with anxiety and worry is found in the decision to rejoice. So what does it mean to rejoice? Well, the word rejoice comes from the root word joy. So if you just do an easy Google search, uh, a Webster's Dictionary online, the verb joy means to have great pleasure or delight. The word rejoice means to feel great pleasure or delight. Even in the original Greek, which is what this letter would have been written in, it means to be glad, to be full of joy, to be elated. So all the same definition. Paul says that our joy should be found in the Lord. That Jesus becomes the basis or the foundation for our joy. This is a decision that you and I have to make. It's not a denial of reality. 
It's not a disparity of circumstance, but it's a decision. So you may say, well, how is joy different than happiness? Happiness, in its very essence of the word, depends upon happenings. If I have good happenings, then I am happy. If I have bad happenings, I am unhappy. My euphoric emotional state is directly connected to happenings. I get a new car, I'm happy. I wreck the new car, I'm unhappy, <laughs> right? It, it's, it's what's going, it's, it's sunny in 75, I'm happy. It's rainy and cold, I'm unhappy. It's totally tethered to everything else going around. This is the reason why in the world in which we live in, with, with a 24-hour news cycle, with social media, with, with just a constant bar- bombardment of ideas, ideologies, concepts, messages constantly coming at us, happenings, our emotional state of being, our happiness can be tethered to those things. Paul doesn't say to, to, to be happy in the Lord. And again, I say be happy because he understands that happy is built upon happenings, which we don't necessarily have control over because happenings are happening all the time around us. That's really deep, isn't it? Happenings are happening all the time around us. So there's things that are happening at our job. There are things that are happening with our kids. There's things that are happening to our spouse. There's things that are happening sometimes even in our own bodies that we don't feel like we have any control of. And the bottom line is, is that happiness is totally, its foundation is built on happenings, things I don't have control over. But joy, that being elated, that being excited, where's the foundation of my joy? He doesn't say have joy in yourself or have joy in your family or have joy in your job or have joy in your work. And we know that family is something that God instituted. We know that work is something that God instituted. We, we, we know that God wants us to enjoy our family and our friends and everything going on around us. He doesn't even say have joy in the church. And Jesus died for the church. The church is the hope of the world. Who does he say to have joy in? In him. To rejoice, to be elated, to be, to, to be uh, uh, great pleasure, great delight, uh, uh, to be full of joy, to be glad, not in your happenings, which would be happiness, but in the Lord. And this is a decision that you and I make. He doesn't just say it once, he says it twice. He's letting us know because joy is dependent upon Jesus. See, happiness rises and falls like a thermometer. But joy has control like a thermostat. You may not be able to control the happenings around you. Therefore, your happiness may come and may go, even in the life of a Christ follower. But joy is not about happenings. Joy is about the Lord. I can always be elated. I can always be glad. I can always be happy and full of delight in the Lord. Why? Because he never disappoints. Happenings disappoint. I will disappoint myself. You will disappoint me. I will disappoint you. But Jesus will never disappoint us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. Even to the end of the world, we can lean so heavily on God and on his word that if it were to move, we would fall because it won't fall. Because God declares of himself that he changes not. His compassions, they fail not. And great is his faithfulness. 
So my joy isn't based on the church or on a pastor or on a friend or on a job or on money in the bank or, or on my spouse or my kids. or any. My joy is based on Jesus, which never fails me, which never leaves me, which is always there. So therefore, my joy can be constant. Even when crazy is going on around me, it can be constant. Okay, Aaron, I get that. That preaches really well, but how do I live that? So glad you asked that. Let me give you a couple of keys on how to have this peace that comes from the joy that you find in the Lord. First of all, rejoice because God is in control. God is in control. Let's go back to verse 4, Philippians chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Okay, Aaron, we just talked about that. But remember who's writing this book? Paul, the apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is writing this book to the church in Philippi. Why is that important? Because Paul is not writing this from some posh five-star hotel luxury resort in this beautiful scenic area. Paul is chained. Paul is imprisoned. Paul is bound. Paul has very little to nothing. Paul's about 60 years of age at this time. There's 39 lashes that he's received on five different occasions. So he's been beaten by Roman soldiers by those that are, have captured him uh, on five different occasions. He's been imprisoned, he's been shipwrecked, he's been left for dead, and he's now awaiting trial before Nero. And the end of the story we know is he won't make it out of there alive. But Paul is teaching to rejoice. How? When you are beaten, when you are imprisoned, when you are shipwrecked, when you are left for dead, when you are awaiting, awaiting trial in prison, how is it that you can have joy? How is it that you can have this? Because he teaches us this concept that belief always precedes behavior. If you're taking notes, write that down. Belief always precedes behavior. Paul introduces this theological concept called sovereignty. Sovereignty. It's a biblical term used to describe God's perfect control in every element in the universe, including our lives. God's perfect control of every element in the universe, including our lives. God is in control. And because he's in control, I know that regardless what's happening in the world around me, I can have peace. I can have joy. I can have rejoice to have joy again in. I can have gladness and elation and delight because he is the object of my focus. He is the object of my joy. He will never leave me nor forsake me. So if I'm in prison, I can still have joy. If I'm shipwrecked, I can still have joy. If I'm left for dead, I can still have joy. If I'm awaiting trial and ultimately my death, I can still have joy. Why? Because it's not built on me or my circumstance. Notice he doesn't say he has happiness. How can you have happiness if you're beaten? How can you have happiness if you're in prison? How can you have happiness if you're shipwrecked? How do you have happiness if you're, if you're left for dead? How do you have happiness if you're awaiting a trial that will ultimately take your life? You can't. Paul never says he does, but he has joy. He has something better than happiness because happiness is about externals. Joy is about the Lord. And he says, look, I'm gonna believe this 
before it ever comes out of my behavior. It may not look like this in my circumstance. It may not look like this around me, but, 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 but don't, don't count me out. I'm still here. I'm still involved. And before we ever see this become a reality in our life, we began to put our hope in. We put our trust in. We rejoice in the Lord, regardless of what the circumstances and the situations are. Sovereignty, that God is in control. I trust that he is in control. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 and 13 says this, But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So being shipwrecked, being beaten, being left for dead, so forth and so on. So that it's become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. See, Paul tells us that true peace doesn't come from the absence of conflict, but from the presence of Christ. Oh, there may be happenings around me. That's okay. But my joy is in the Lord. And God has a way of taking the things that would try to destroy me, the happenings around me, to ultimately use them for his good and my good. Second statement I want to make is that rejoice because God is full of mercy. Rejoice because God is full of mercy. Many times guilt and anxiety can often go hand in hand. Now again, when we deal with guilt, we deal with anxiety, sometimes they're connected. And I mean things like, Aaron, you just, you know, some of the happenings in my life, I sowed some seed over here and this is just what's happening. I made some really dumb decisions and this is really what's going on. I, I, <laughs> some of the anxiety that I'm dealing with are sins of the past. Oh yeah, I've given my life to Christ and I've surrendered it all to him and I've moved ahead, but I'm still having to deal with overcoming a, a record, that, a criminal record or, or a bad decision, uh, a botched marriage. I, I've got kids that just, man, I, I just, I wasn't a good parent at that particular point in time. I made some really stupid decisions. I hurt some people. Okay. And what happens out of that is we deal with guilt condemnation, which we know doesn't come from God. It comes from the enemy of our soul, especially when conviction is, is, is the Holy Spirit leading you to get things right with God because they're not. But after you have asked him to forgive you, the Bible says that Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So once you've given it to him, he's forgiven you and he's forgotten it. But what happens? We don't forget. So we deal with guilt. And that guilt can sometimes rob us of our peace. And the enemy wants to keep bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. And so what, what type happens a lot of times is we try to numb it by other things. We try to deny it. We try to minimize it. We try to avoid it. We try to redirect it. We try to offset it. Sometimes we even act out on it and embody it. Paul this is where I'm going with this. Who's writing this book, this letter to the church in Philippi, was a persecutor of the church before he came to Jesus. I mean, he murdered people. He killed Christians. He made sport of them. He, he did everything he could until he had this, this, this road of Damascus experience, this, 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 this come to Jesus, where God literally knocks him off of his, of his horse and blinds him and speaks to him and changes him radically. But before that, he was a very terrible guy when it came to the church. Luke will write this of 
of Paul in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, as for Saul, being Paul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. So think about this. Before Paul becomes a follower of Jesus Christ and has this radical conversion experience, he's doing everything he can that's the opposite of what, he, what we read in the New Testament, of what he's writing about. And he, he does the opposite. He, 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 he's trying to destroy the church. He's trying to destroy the name of Jesus. He's trying to destroy all that because he was a practicing Jew and, 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 and he thought that, that, that Christianity was an assault upon Judaism and, and didn't believe who Jesus was until God revealed himself in a way that only God could. And, and Paul came to the end of himself and he cried out and asked God to forgive him and God forgave him. But do you think that Paul forgets that? No, no. Matter of fact, in 1 Timothy, I'm going to read in just a second, we see that Paul doesn't forget that. But so how does Paul get through this? It's because this this is what he's telling us to the church in Philippi, what he's writing right here in Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. To rejoice in the Lord always. How does he deal with his guilt of the past? How does he deal with his sins of the past? How does he deal with the anxiety that comes with that? Because he had every reason to be guilty, every reason to be burdened with it. But instead of being, being guilt-ridden, he becomes this poet of grace. How does he deal with it? By choosing to put his joy in the Lord. That every time the enemy would come in and would point to his past, he would say, but this is what Jesus has done for me. Therefore, my joy is not built upon me or upon the happenings of my past or my present, but upon the Lord in whom I serve. He'll write these words to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, calling to the ministry. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that we are all in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the worst. Verse 16, for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Let me tell you something. If Paul can rejoice in the Lord always in his present circumstance, if Paul can rejoice always in his horrible past, then you can and I can. Don't let guilt of the enemy try to creep in into your soul and, and try, to, try, to, try to contaminate you or weigh you down or steal your peace or steal your joy from the Lord from sins in the past and try to rob you of your future. No, rejoice, have, find joy again in the Lord. Remember, it's not in you, it's in him. Third and final statement about how do I have joy, which brings peace in my life, which eradicates anxiety. Not based upon what's happening around me, but upon what Jesus is doing in me. Is to rejoice and then rejoice again. Rejoice and then rejoice again. Sounds redundant, but there's repetition because there is a something that Jesus wants us to remember. Old Testament, the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verse 19 through 23. I'm going to read this for you. I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I remember them well. 
and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This is what I call a a but God moment. You know, you're going along in life, but God shows up. You're dealing with, with problems, but God shows up. You should have been in jail. You should have been divorced. You should have been left for dead, but God showed up. If you're watching me today, whether you're at a campus or whether you are, are, are online or, or whether you're, you're on a treadmill and this is just something that you've picked up because you're checking out a sermon because somebody told you, it's not by accident. It's not by happenstance. But the Bible says that our steps are ordered of the Lord and that he is faithful and that he is just. And there are moments where God shows up in our life. And maybe that's what you need him to do today. Maybe what you need is just a reminder that your joy is to be in him. And don't forget it. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Rejoice. Rejoice again. Choose to have your joy in the Lord, then choose to have it again. Because sometimes the first time doesn't always work. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes I got to do it twice. Sometimes I got to do it three times. (laughs) Sometimes I may need to do it a half dozen times. But the truth of the matter is, is that I continue to make a decision. I continue to put my trust in. Every time the enemy comes in and, and points to my past, I just I just choose to put my joy in him. Every time the happenings around me try to crowd me out and try to rob and steal and kill and destroy the peace that I have, I just choose that I'm gonna put my joy in the Lord who's the same today, yesterday, and forever, whose mercies are new every morning and and, and whose, whose faithfulness is overwhelming to me. God is faithful. God will not leave you. God will not forsake you. This is the, we see this over and over and over and over in scripture. God shows up. God shows up. There are these moments. I mean, I've been reading uh, a couple weeks ago in, in the Gospel of Luke, and it was the, the story of, 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 of before the birth of Jesus, but the, but the birth of John the Baptist. And Zechariah, his father, who was a priest, the Bible says, and he got to go into the sanctuary of God his one time in his life to make atonement. One time, one time. And it's in that moment that the archangel Gabriel shows up and tells him that his wife, Elizabeth, is going to give birth to a son and he's going to be the forerunner of the Messiah. But God, how many times you're going along in life, but God shows up who's rich in grace and in mercy. Look, I don't know what's going on around you. I don't know what's happening in your home. I don't know what's happening in your business. I don't know what your bank account looks like. I don't know how overdrawn you are. But I'm just telling you, but God can show up in one moment and change everything. It could be your one time to be in the presence of God in your entire lifetime and God shows up and gives you a word that sends something into your life that changes everything. And you go, that's crazy. I'm just telling you, that's what the Bible says. (laughs) That's what it's all about. And the ultimate proof of God's provision is the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, what we just celebrated at Easter. 
Acts chapter 2, verse 23 and 24 says, This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of the wicked man, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. What do you need God to do in your life? What power do you need God to show up in your life? What but God moment do you need? Do you need it in your marriage? Do you need it in your kids? Do you need it in your business? Do you need it in your own soul? Do you need it in your mind? I'm just telling you, you rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And when you make that decision, all of a sudden, God will begin to show up in the middle of your storm. He doesn't take you out of the storm, but he shows up with you in the middle of the storm. He walks with you in the middle of the storm. Even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, He's there. Don't think that just happens to people in the Bible. Don't think it just happens to everybody else but you. The reason why it happened to people in Scripture is because it's an example to you and I of what God will do if we'll reach out to Him. If we'll just ask Him. Oh God, I need you in this moment. Oh God, I'm losing my mind in this moment. Jesus, I need your presence in this moment. And the Bible says that He is there and as close as the very mention of His name. And even when Jesus was dead, but God showed up. Man, I know this message is way easier preached than lived. But today, as I close, I believe we need a God moment. I believe you need a God moment. Where the peace of God that passes understanding invades your soul and your circumstance. So today, here's what I want to do. We're going to wrap everything up in just a minute. I'm going to pray and then the band's going to come and they're going to lead in a song. And I want you during the time of this song not to just check out, but I want you to do two things. Number one, I want you to make a decision to choose to put your joy in the Lord. How do I do that? By just saying, I choose to put my joy in the Lord. I know it's really deep, isn't it? But the truth of the matter is, how many times do we think we should do something, but we never commit ourselves to it? God, forgive me for putting my focus on the happenings around me and looking for people and situations and circumstances and maybe even you, God, to make me happy. Rather, I choose joy. I choose to be elated and to be glad in you and to be delighted in you, that you become the focus because you will not fail me. Second thing is ask God to show up. Maybe you need a but God moment. You know, as I was in my prayer time this week, there was something that I was reading in scripture and the Holy Spirit just kind of just kind of highlighted that in my own heart. And so my prayer time, I just said, Lord, you did this here. I'm asking you to do this in my life. And I was just very specific. I know you have the power to, Jesus. And I know this is your will. But I don't have the ability to do this. I'm weak, but you are strong. And I ask that you would show up. I was asking for a but God moment in my life. And if you need God to show up in a way that only he can in the middle of the storm, whatever the circumstance is, whatever the issue is, I want you to ask him. Choose joy in him and ask him to show up. I'm going to pray. Band's going to come. And I'm going to ask you to respond just between you and the Lord and I believe God is going to do something miraculous in our midst. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you today for your word that's yes and amen. It's solid. It's sure. It doesn't ever 
change. And I pray today, Lord, whatever fear, whatever anxiety, as we began this series, as we look at the words that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, to rejoice, to have joy in, to be elated in, to have gladness in you. And you don't just say that once, but twice. Lord, we choose to have our joy in you. We reject happiness. We choose joy in you today. Father, I pray, show up. And do God moments in people's lives, in their marriages, in their businesses, in their homes, supernaturally do in these next few moments. What, what we couldn't do in a lifetime. Put your super onto our natural. Jesus, we know that you have the ability to. Will you do it for us today? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.